Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So Sunday evening, uh, excuse me, Friday evening was great. Uh, we went out to dinner as a family. It was Vicki and I's anniversary. John Hunter and Avery went, and my brother and sister-in-law came with us. And after dinner, we went to the Drew Holcomb, the Ellie Holcomb Christmas concert at the Orpheum, and it was, it was really good. Vicki and I had gone a couple years before. We were looking forward to it. Uh, since that engagement two years prior, I've started listening to his music. I play it in my truck. My children are listening to it. They're getting to know it and enjoy it. And we're, we're in the middle of the concert, and it's just, a, it's just great. Just, you're really in the Christmas mood. The music they're playing is fantastic. And they play one particular song. It's not a Christmas song, but it has a great chorus. It's called Dragons. And people are starting to sing along with the music and they go into the first chorus, and there's a lull, just a, just a slight lull. And I look over at John Hunter, and he's into it. I'm into it. We're all into it. And a few people in the audience begin to yell out. You know how people do that at concerts to encourage the artist and to give them praise because everything's going so great, and they're enjoying it so much. And all of a sudden, John Hunter stands up, and he just yells out in the concert. He's so excited to be there, and he likes the music so much. Me too. And I look at him, and you know, your first reaction as a parent is, I think, in most cases, you want to jump to discipline. Like, don't do that. You can't do that. Don't yell. And then I stop and I realize, right on. Right on. Yeah, you're in the spirit. And so he and I fist bump, and he sits down. So this morning we're coming to the Gospel of John and we're looking at the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And as we sing these Christmas songs in worship, it is our hearts giving praise to God in worship because of what He has done for us. Worthy of a fist bump. So this morning as we look at John, we're going to have the opportunity to come and to adore him, to praise him. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that this service would be pleasing to you, that our words would be pleasing to you, our songs, our prayers, they would all bring you glory. Father, we are so grateful this morning that we can gather together as your people and we can adore you because you deserve adoration. You deserve all the praise. Father, change our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus and him only. Amen. We're going to ask the same question over and over again this morning. Why should we adore Him? Why should we sing out to Him in worship? Why should we call out to Him? And so as we look at the text and as we look at the first few verses, 
in particular verses 1 through 3, we ask the question as God's people, Christmas season, Advent, why should we adore Him? And the answer is because of His greatness, because He is unfathomable. Look again at those first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So before the creation of the world, before time, there is God the Father in the throne room of heaven, and who resides with Him? Well, according to John, it is the Word that has come in the flesh. It is Jesus Christ. There He is. Father and Son, and we also know the Holy Spirit, hence the name of our church plant, Trinity. Before time, before creation, there is God, three in one. Jesus was with Him. Everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. Everything was peaceful. It was the most loving place in, that has ever existed. The throne room of heaven where our God resides. And Jesus is there and all things are made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. It's all impossible without King Jesus. And so you read this verse, and it's someone who's been to seminary and who's been trained in the creeds and the confessions of our denomination. I begin to automatically and systematically think through what does it mean that Jesus is both God and man, and what does it mean that our God is three in one and their natures and so forth and so on. You want to break it down. You want to understand it. A very Western thing to do. But what really needs to happen is for me to step back and to be blown away by this. That I cannot fully understand my God because He is that great. And you cannot fully understand your God because He is that great. He is unfathomable. He is beyond knowing in fullness. He is grand. He is awesome. He is unreal. This morning, excuse me, a couple of mornings ago, I was just looking on my phone and I wasn't searching for this. And an article popped up and it was talking about in space and how far away it was that two black holes are about to come together and merge and become one and scientists are studying it and they want to understand it to have a better grasp of what's going to happen. And as I was reading the article, and, and, and I'm not an overly science-minded person, I tend to gravitate towards history. I was blown away by this to stand in my yard at night and to stare into the stars and beyond what I can see, to borrow an analogy that we're all familiar with in a galaxy far, far away, that that is going to happen. And that there is a God who created all of that, who stands above it, who stands outside it. And I am so thankful and I rejoice that my God is mysterious and that I cannot know Him fully because I'm a fallen sinful creature who more often than not wants to be God and wants to save myself and wants to be in control. 
I need a God who's greater than me, who's bigger than me, who is mysterious. And when we come to these first three verses, we're reminded of what's said in Psalm 145 by King David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Hear this in verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. That's what I need. That's what my heart needs. Is a God who is unsearchable. In this Christmas season, we need to be reminded of the fact that that is who our God is. And He comes to us in the flesh. Why should we adore Him? He is the light. Look at verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John uses the analogy of darkness, and he talks about light. And that Jesus is coming and he's piercing the darkness. And as he does that, he is enabling us to see as people are who are blind. The Old Testament talks a significant amount about the Messiah coming. And one of the ways that you will know that he has arrived is that he is going to enable the blind to see. Hey, be on the lookout, the prophets say. That when the kingdom sneaks into this world, one of the ways that you will know is that the blind begin to see, the lame begin to walk. Jesus is the light who has descended into a very, very dark place. I remember as a child, sometimes we would go look at Christmas lights, and there was one particular place that was way out in the country. And you remember how station wagons used to be and and the older kids would sit in the very back and you would look out the back window and I was the only one that could ever sit there because I was the only one who never got car sick. And I remember being on those journeys going out into the country to find this house and as a kid, I just remember the darkness being a bit scary. And it just kept getting darker and darker. And... I was afraid, and I was embarrassed to say anything to my mother and father. Hey, I'm a little upset back here. I am staring backwards out the back window of the station wagon into pitch black dark. I don't know where we're going. I'm a little bit bothered by this. And I remember as we would get closer to this house, you could begin to see the lights. That's how big of a display it was. The lights ascending over the trees and piercing through the leaves and the branches. And when you would turn the corner, I don't believe it was the first thing you would see. But if, again, you're sitting in the back of a station wagon facing backwards, the first thing you saw was this beautifully illuminated manger scene. And even as a child, even as a little guy, I remember seeing that and having hope. Now, my hope wasn't that darkness and light and here's Jesus my hope was hey we've finally gotten here and I'm not going to be staring into the pitch black any longer but the metaphor is unbelievable 
that because of sin, because of the fall, because of the curse, we live in the darkness, we reside in the darkness, and it is that infant Jesus in the manger seed who is coming to bring us hope. And that just that little bit of light pierces the darkness so that you can see. The kingdom has not come in all its fullness. We still live in a world that has fallen. We still live in a world that is broken. We still live in a world that grapples with sin. But there is that light. And we look for it. And we know as God's people, as His children, that it changes everything. Think about the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus and he's overcome. He's overwhelmed by that light. And when Paul's vision is restored, his whole world is turned upside down because he no longer sees the darkness of the fall. He sees the resurrection that is Jesus Christ that is his hope and motivates him in life and ministry. So look for the lit manger in the darkness. Look for the light that is Jesus. That is why we adore him. Why else should we adore King Jesus with our worship during the Christmas season? His sacrifice. Look at verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We adore Him because this child who has come to Bethlehem, the one that the angels praised, the one that the shepherds came to see, the ones that the wise men brought gifts, He brings us reconciliation with our God. That it is Jesus who allows us, because of His life and His suffering and His atonement, and His resurrection, it is a Jesus that brings us in to the family of God. It's an amazing thing that He has done for us. And John is talking about it here in our passage. The right to become the children of God. I don't know about you, but my adoption into His family is everything. I didn't want anything to do with Him. I was running from him, rebellious, sinful, fallen, disloyal. And God the Father has sent his son to give his life for me so that the Holy Spirit in turn can come into my soul and change me and bring me into the family of God and to give me a new name and a new older brother, Jesus. And so we come to this place and we open up our hearts in praise because of what it is God has done for us. And that He's given His his Word, which is a reminder of His grace. That I don't have to feel shame. I don't have to feel like I belong on the island of misfit toys. That His grace restores me and renews me and brings me to the Father who sings over me, who is my dad. 
and all my hope rest in him. 1 John 3, 1 through 2, what an unbelievable reminder of this truth. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. I love the way this is written. Notice this. That we should be called children of God. And then John writes, same author, different book. And so we are. Let that be an encouragement to your hearts and your souls this morning. That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because He shall see Him as He is. In other words, when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, God is going to see us in light of our older brother. He's not going to see all of our issues and problems and struggles and the things that we've done wrong in the past presently he's going to see Jesus he's going to see the manger he's going to see the cross he's going to see the empty tomb that's how he is going to see us and that's why we adore him that's why we come to this place and we worship him also because if you look at verse 14 he is the truth And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is truth. Listen, we we live in in a place that is confused. And the world does not consider Scripture the Word of God. And that shouldn't surprise us. Our theology tells us that. And so, there are competing theories and ideas on what is right and what is wrong and what is truth. And we come to Jesus. And in Him, as we saw earlier, we are reminded that here is God who existed before the creation of the world, before time and space, who is with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and He is the Word, and He has come in the flesh, and He is all truth. And so what He has to say to us will never lead us astray. We will never be led down a wrong path because Jesus is truth. He is the truest of all truths. So the world is competing for our attention. The world is telling us that things are true, that are actually wrong, and we should run to the cross. We should run to the Word. We should go to Bethlehem, and there we find the truest of all truths. The only rule for faith in life, the Word of God. And Jesus has spoken that to us. And so we cling to it. We hold on to it. And we let it be a guide for our life in the good and in the bad. Why should we adore Him? Why should we sing to Him? Why should we lift our voices to Him? Because Jesus is the infant in the manger is, I love this, grace upon grace. If you're familiar with 
Cajun culture, it's lanyap. It's an extra pinch of grace. Jesus is grace through and through. Look at verse 16. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Magi brought to Him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're all familiar with it. We had someone give us in our previous church plant um, for Christmas actual gold flakes, frankincense, and myrrh with a history of what all of it meant. It was fascinating. What does Jesus bring to us? John's telling us it's grace upon grace. That Jesus comes to people who wanted nothing to do with Him. Jesus comes to people who are hurting. Jesus comes to people who are confused. He comes to people who have doubts. He comes to people who are in the dark. He comes to us in our weakest of moments. And He bends down on His knee and He says, I love you. You are mine. I forgive you. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Not sure where you are this Christmas season. But it's an unbelievable gift that the Son of God, the Son of Man, Emmanuel, gives to you. I hope you will cherish it. And that you will adore Him. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us and caring for us and being born for us and taking on flesh for us, living in this sinful place. The king of all of creation having to walk around on dusty, rocky, hot sand wearing nothing but sandals. You did that for us. That you went to the cross and endured the crown of thorns and the nails and the beating. That you endured the Father looking away. That you endured our punishments, our eternal punishments. That you did all of this for us. Lord God, help us to adore you in worship this day. Amen.